Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. So tonight what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be continuing our series on the prodigal son. And that's when we take a topic um, at the beginning of each month and every week we look at it from a different and often unique point of view. And so the first week of this month, Linda Pesavento shared on the prodigal son from an IFS point of view, so that's internal family systems. She shared from her vast counselling experience, and if you weren't here, and I know a lot of us actually weren't here, because that was the day when we had that torrential rain and roads were closed, it was actually a mudslide out the front of my house, but after her message, I felt like I should have been paying for a counselling session. And so if you want to check that one out, that's up on the podcast at the moment. Last week, we had Adam Gowan share from an Indigenous perspective. Um, I think it was good, but I was up in kids' church, so I wasn't there, so I'll be listening to that one on the podcast when it comes out. And tonight, I'm going to be sharing uh, from an Eastern point of view on the prodigal son. And so... As we know, Jesus shared the story of the prodigal son. Actually, this was interesting when I was talking about it up in kids' church. Uh, I said, well, who, you know, who told the story of the prodigal son? And none of the kids knew it was Jesus. They all just thought it was an actual thing that happened. So we had to then go through and clarify, this is actually a story that was told with a specific message. And so as we know, Jesus told the story of the prodigal son. What a lot of us probably don't know is that about 200 years later, in Buddhism is more specifically the Mahayana line of Buddhism, that's one of the big three lines of Buddhism, in the Lotus Sutra text, there came another telling of the prodigal son, a very similar story about 200 years after Jesus told his story. Now, some people think due to the vast similarities between the two stories, that is perhaps actually influenced from Jesus' parable that he told. There's no proof of that, but that's what some people think. So... You know, we take that into account as well. And so tonight, what I'm going to be doing is having a look at both of these stories. But this isn't an argument as to, you know, why Christianity is so much better than Buddhism. I'm not here to put down Buddhism or or anything like that. Rather, what I'm going to be doing is looking at both stories, looking at the similarities, as well as the differences, and sharing how I believe both of these stories can actually glorify God in quite an amazing way. And so, obviously, there will probably be a little bit of bias coming through because I am a Christian, I'm I'm not a Buddhist, but I'm going to try to keep it as level as possible. And just a bit of a disclaimer, I am not any uh, authority in uh, Buddhism. I I am Chinese, (laughs) part Chinese, but that doesn't make me by default Buddhist. It's kind of like the whole, you know, I'm Chinese, so people assume I know Kung Fu. It's not like that, it doesn't work like that, but there are... Buddhists in my family, and so over my lifetime, kung, there is Kung Fu in my family, no. <laughs> um, there is, yeah, there are Buddhist people, I've re- Buddhist relatives, and so I've been, um, ex- I was going to say exposed to, no, that sounds like COVID, I've, I've experienced the Buddhist culture, and I've um, been to uh, different, you know, ceremonies and things um, with other members of my family. Uh, I've never practiced Buddhism, but I am aware of it, and I feel that plus conversations I've had around this, plus research that I've done, I, can, I feel I have a few insights I can share in the comparisons of these two similar stories. And so that's my little disclaimer there. Let's get into the scriptures, and I'll go through both of them, and then we'll share some of the uh, comparisons. 
And so, the Christian view, the one that we're most familiar with, this is from Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. It says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Um, It then goes on to the interaction between the father and the older son, but just for the sake of time, I'm just going to finish that parable there. This is now the Eastern version, and I just need to say that the Eastern version of this parable actually goes for about half a dozen pages, so I'm not going to be reading the whole thing out, it's too long. So what I've done, I've made an abridged version, I've summarised it down, trying to keep the main points. However, I acknowledge In my ignorance, I've probably left out some important details that any Buddhist listening to me talk about this would probably be rolling their eyes. But I've done my best to keep all the main points that I saw as significant. If you do want to read this parable yourself, all you need to do is Google Lotus Sutra Lost Sun and it should come up. Okay, so here's the Eastern version. A young man left his father and ran away. For 30 years he dwelt in other countries. The older he grew, the more needy he became. Meanwhile, the father had searched for his son all those years in vain and had settled in a certain city. His home became very rich. His goods and treasures were fabulous. One day, the poor son, hired for wages here and there, unexpectedly arrived at his father's house. Standing at the gate, he saw from a distance his father seated on a lion throne. He was surrounded by his wealth, adorned with many jewels, and waited on by a multitude of servants. Lines of nobles, warriors, and holy men stood before the father, all vying for his approval and attention. The son reflected, this must be a king or someone of royal rank. It is impossible for me to be hired here. I'd better go to some poor village in search of a job where food and clothing are easier to get. If I stay here long, I may suffer oppression. Reflecting thus, he rushed away, but his father had recognised his son at first glance and with great joy in his heart reflected. Instantly, he sent off his attendants to pursue his son quickly and fetch him back. Immediately, the messengers hastened forth to seize him. The poor son, surprised and scared, 
fell to the ground and loudly cried his complaint. I have committed no offence against you. Why should I be arrested? The father, seeing his son's distress, sent word to his attendants to release his son and not bring him by force. The son, taking his freedom, ran away. So the father devised a plan to bring back his son. He took off his strings of jewels, his soft attire, and put on a coarse, torn and dirty garment. He smeared his body with dust and took a dung shovel in his right hand. He found where his son was squatting and said to him, There is a place for you to work. I will hire you for scavenging. The son happily accepted the job, and although he rejoiced at this happening, he still thought of himself as a humble hireling. The son worked every day beside his father with honour and integrity. This pleased the father, so he promoted the son, giving him a higher wage, food and shelter. Over the next 20 years, the son unbeknowingly worked for his father, and as he increased in position and status, he also grew in belief in himself. A deep bond developed between the father and son. Years later, the father became ill, and knowing he would soon die, he called for his son, who was now in charge of all the inventory of his business. The father gathered his relatives, the king's priests, warriors, and citizens. He addressed them, saying, Now, gentlemen, this is my son, begotten to me. It is over 50 years since from a certain city he left me and ran away to endure loneliness and misery. Now all the wealth which I possess belongs entirely to my son, and all my previous disimbursements and receipts are known by this son. When the poor son heard this, uh, sorry, when the poor son heard these words of his father, he great was a joy at such unexpected news. And thus he thought, without any mind for or effort on my part, these treasures now come to me. And so these are the two parables, and we can see there are definitely some similarities between the two. And so even though, yes, there are some similarities, we still need to acknowledge that they are different. They were written at different times for different purposes by different people and to give different lessons as well. And so what I'm going to do first is just compare some of the similarities and look at what they mean in each of the parables and so we can just see where the differences are and then we're going to start looking at the different points of view. Um, but just to clarify, so I'm not confusing anyone, when I talk about the Christian parable, the one that Jesus told, I'll call that the prodigal son. When I talk about the Eastern version, I'll call that the Lotus Sutra. So hopefully I'm not confusing anyone with which one I'm talking about because I was confusing myself when I was putting this together. Okay, so the first point I want to make is just the context of the stories. What is the point? What is the lesson of each of these stories? Well, as we know, in the Christian story, in the one Jesus told, it represents sin and reconciliation with God. Or more specifically, if we look at what Jesus said about the explanation of the tale, it is how heaven celebrates when even just one soul returns to him. That's what he says in uh, Luke 15, 7. And so the story of the prodigal son follows the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and then we get the lost son. And all of that is about how God pursues us and how heaven celebrates when we come back to him. The story in the Lotus Sutra, however, is different. It's there to teach the disciples how to attain higher positions and eventually uh, become a fully realised Buddha themselves, reach that place of enlightenment. And that place of the Buddha, that place of enlightenment, in the analogy of the Lotus Sutra, that's represented by the status of the father that the son eventually reaches. 
Second point, the meaning of the son's departure from home. And so, in the prodigal son, the meaning of the son's departure, it symbolizes a human attitude of rebellion against God, which we call sin. However, in the Eastern tale, uh, it, the parable represents the ignorance that we all have, but then it starts that wheel of um, that cycle of rebirth, uh, and as you finally work your way back up the levels of enlightenment. Uh, the third point, the son's miserable condition. Uh, so in The Prodigal Son, this represents the power sin has over our life when we're away from communion with God. Uh, however, in the Buddhist uh, telling, this represents the ignorance that forces one to wander from one physical existence to the next. And then finally, the last point, the decision for the son to return home. In Christianity, this represents the desire to no longer live under sin and return to God. In Buddhism, this represents karma and rebirth that eventually leads one to that proper level of wisdom um, and spiritual progress where it is finally, it can finally start to be attained. And, and this is a bit of a difference between the two tales because in Jesus' story, when the son came home, that's the end of the story. He has finally come home, he's been accepted, he's been restored. However, in the Lotus Sutra, when the son returns home, he doesn't instantly go back into sonship with the father. He actually has to then start working his way up. Returning home is the beginning of the son's journey back to the father. So, let's look at the different points of view now. So, firstly, I want to look at a Christian view of the Lotus Sutra. And this is me just reading it, reflecting on it. What are the main things that I took away? And I'm sure... When I read that out as well, a lot of you, you know, have some of your own takeouts that you found interesting too. But these, I'm just going to share two things that I found really interesting. And they both are around the Father's love, which I found fascinating. So the first one is, I love how the Father was still able to recognise his son at the gate after he was missing for 30 years. And that was beautiful. And I think that really uh, represents the heart of God that we know so well. You see, this, the father was able to recognize the son, but the son, he wasn't able to recognize the father. And we could probably say the son was probably even unable to recognize himself. He didn't see himself as his father's son anymore. It says in the Lotus Sutra that he saw himself just as a humble hireling. And I think this, the sad truth is that some of us, I know, kind of fit with that as well. Some of us see ourselves maybe not worthy of God's attention or love. And I know life deals us wounds. It deals all of us wounds, some more so than others. And, and life can beat us down and it can distort us and, and it can twist us to the point that when we do look to God, we see no resemblance of ourselves in God anymore. And... Maybe some of you have felt like this at different times in your life. Maybe some of you feel like this still now from time to time as well. And, and, and it can hurt to look to God. It's almost like looking at the sun. You can only stand to look at the sun just for a few seconds and then you have to cast your eyes away and then return to whatever, whatever shadow you're familiar with. And that shadow place, it might be a place of anger. Maybe you're angry with God because of some things that have happened in your life or the lives of those around you. Or maybe you just simply feel unworthy to come to God. 
and you look at yourself with you know, a, a certain sense of self-loathing or you feel unworthy, you feel, you feel wretched. Actually, that, that, that word wretched is an interesting one. The only time I've really heard it used is I've, I've met a few people uh, and, and Christians as well and I've had conversations with them and they've, they've told me about how wretched they see themselves are. And it's, it's, I find it, find it quite sad. It's, they, they see their, their sinful self. They, they see their broken self. They, they see themselves as so far away from God that they, they're not deserving to even look at God anymore. And I was talking to one, one friend, and he was, um, he was talking about the song Amazing Grace. And he would go over that first line of the song again and again and again, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. And that was like his mantra, a wretch like me, a wretch like me. And he was really caught up on that. And I remember we were talking about it, and it was almost like he never couldn't even acknowledge the, the second line of the song, which was, I once was lost, but now I found was blind, but now I see. And even though, yes, he had accepted God, he still was not able to see past his sin to the perfection, the perfect creature that God has now made him and has made us. And so he wasn't able to recognise himself in God, just like the son in the Lotus Sutra was not able to recognise himself when looking at the Father. He wasn't able to see that God had restored him to his perfect state. Not just turned him to his perfect state, but restored. Because when you turn from one thing to another, you're one thing and now you're something else. But God didn't do that. He restored us because our original creation isn't sinful. Our original creation from God is goodness, is perfection, it's our love. That's who we are before sin came. Romans 5.10, Paul says, God loved us even when we were his enemy. And that word enemy that Paul uses in the original Greek we can take it to mean like you know a hostile adversary, but it can also mean just simply opposite. And so God loved us when we were opposite to Him. And so to probably use a you know not the best analogy, but if God's on one side of a spectrum and we're completely on the other side, if we are as, uh, spiritually, if we are as distant from God as we could ever be, God still loved us. God still pursued us. God still wanted to call us home. And so if this is you, if you struggle with the love that God gives us, remember that God will still recognise you. God still does recognise you, even if you struggle to recognise yourself in God. You'll always be his beloved child. God will never stop loving us. He never stops calling us. He never stops reaching out for us. He never stops beckoning us to come home again. And even if we don't come home, he still loves us. It still remains. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I love how the picture of the Father in Lotus Sutra can, um, can give us that analogy. The second point I want to make is the father's pursuit of the son. And you might have noticed this as well, the lengths the father went to to get his son coming back to him. And that was amazing. And so when the father realised that the son would not return home willingly, he devised a plan. <laughs> he met the son at his level and made a path for him to come back home. And so he dressed as a lowly dung shoveler, like the lowest of the lowest of the positions that you could possibly think of. And he found where his son was squatting, and offered him a job scavenging, just a lowly, simple, basic job, going through piles of garbage, looking for anything worthwhile. 
And then over the next 20 years, it says the father works side by side with his son. And as he was slowly working his way up the ranks, the father was always there, always encouraging, supporting him, building him back up in confidence and self-esteem and belief to a place where he finally could accept who he was again, his father's son. And that is just such a beautiful picture. And during this whole time as well, the father never infringed on the son's free will. He never forced him to come back, but he did pursue him. And this, this is what God did for us. This is what Jesus did for us. God didn't just stay in heaven waiting for us to somehow find a way back to him. He came down to earth to be one of us as one of us. To feel pain like we feel pain, to feel heartache like we feel heartache, to feel betrayal, to feel what it is to be human. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, uh, Paul says, For our sake, he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the heart of God, and this is what we see in the Lotus Sutra about the Father, and that's such a great analogy for that. And even though Jesus had now since gone, he no longer walks the earth with us, we are still not alone. The Holy Spirit is still here um, with us to encourage us and to support us and to guide us and to build us up to that place where we can accept God. And if you think about your own journey with God, like what has led you to this point in time right now? What small prompts have you had? What gentle pushes have you had? What clarity have you had in what might have otherwise been a confusing or muddled time? Maybe it has been the Holy Spirit working in your life, calling you, beckoning you, even if you didn't realise it was the Holy Spirit at the time. Just like the father in the Lotus Sutra was there next to his son, even though the son didn't know that was his father, supporting him, encouraging him, loving him the whole way, egging him on. It's great. And so isn't it great that we have a patient and empathetic God, one that understands humanity? And so, yeah, there are two key points that really stuck out for me when reading uh, The Eastern Tale. Okay, so now, what might a Buddhist see when they read the Christian version of the prodigal son? And again, I am not an authority on Buddhism, but I am part Chinese. <laughs> but this, in the conversation I've had, this is how I've come to understand it. Okay, so first of all, a Buddhist reading the parable of the prodigal son would, like us, see a lot of similarities between the two. And so they'll also see some similarities between Christianity and Buddhism as well. And so, for example, the end goal in Buddhism is to empty oneself of oneself and in order to reach that level of enlightenment. And so that means to be rid of all ties to things like greed and hatred and ignorance and anything that props up the ego. And finally, when they have done that, they finally reach that place of nirvana, of enlightenment, and that place of oneness with everything. And finally, that cycle of karma and rebirth comes to an end because they've reached that pinnacle point. In Christianity, we also talk about emptying ourselves, don't we? We, we talk about, we, we say to God, uh, less of me and more of you. And this is about emptying ourselves of our own ego so God can refill us back to that perfect creation that he made us to be and so in the buddhist journey the journey is one from self to selflessness but the christian journey is one from self to perfect communion 
And so the Buddhist would be on board when reading the parable of the prodigal son, uh, with the son leaving home. They'd get that, that sounds familiar. They would understand the bad life choices the son made, that sounds familiar. They would understand the poverty he experienced, a low self-esteem, and even the son's return home. They would get that. But when the father, in the tale of the prodigal son, embraces his son and puts a ring on his finger, his sandals on his feet, and hugs him and kisses him, that's where the two stories actually diverge. Because the story of the Lotus Sutra ends with this. Without my mind, uh, sorry, without any mind for or effort on my part, these treasures now come to me. Opposed to how the prodigal son ends with the father saying he was dead but now is alive, was lost but now is found. And so the thing uh, in the Lotus Sutra, the triumphing achievement is not that relationship has been re-established. It's that he's finally risen to that status again. It's about the, the, the place he holds now in the family. And so the Lotus Sutra also ends with the father on the deathbed. And so there's actually no relationship or reunion to be recovered because the father is just about to pass away. And so eternal communion with the father makes no sense in Buddhism because, well, because there is no father other than the son replacing the father in wealth and status. And so looking, and this is where I guess my bias comes through, so looking at the Lotus Sutra through my Christian eyes, I do feel a sense of sadness in that because I have been brought up in a Christian family. I've known God as long as I can remember. And so I find it so, so difficult to try to comprehend what spirituality looks like without relationship. To me, you cannot separate them. They are one and the same. And so I don't long for oneness. I long for togetherness. And so for me, the Lotus Sutra, when I read it, it emphasizes the relationship we have with God and the love God has for us. And it makes me want to embrace God even more. The next point of difference would be that of inheritance. And so in, the, in Jesus' story, the prodigal son... He says, uh, the son goes to his father and asks for his inheritance in advance. But in the Lotus Sutra, there's no talk of inheritance. It just says the son leaves home. And this is a point of difference. And that's significance because this shapes the tension between the father and the son differently. And so by taking the inheritance in the tale of the prodigal son, that can represent like Adam and Eve taking the fruit from the Garden of Eden. Both were taken unlawfully and they led to separation. And then... The son leaving home can then can represent the exile from Eden as well. And so in our Christian understanding, there's some kind of wrong that had to be righted. We, we call that sin. And man has not been able to rectify that themselves. And so that's why God sent Jesus to do what we could not do. And so to put it in a nutshell, we could say like God was wrong, but God also righted that wrong. But if we look at the Lotus Sutra, the analogy is, is reversed. You see, the son is not in debt to the father. He hasn't wronged the father, he's just left home. Yet it's still the son who pays to work his way back to the father as well. In work and labour, he has to do that in order to erase the ignorance that originally blocked his path back to the father. And so it's by the son's hand is he separated by the father. It's also by the son's hand that he's reunited with his father again. And so in the Lotus Sutra, there is no grace. But that's because there's no need for grace. 
but everything rises and falls on the will of the Son. And so the Lotus Sutra, the journey back to the Father, is not one of repentance and redemption, but one of realisation of the true self. And then, again, and we see that difference between the two stories. The last comparison I want to make is this. Um, a Buddhist person reading the parable of the prodigal son will find it interesting that they're actually reading the uh, parable of the prodigal son. And that's because the story in the Lotus Sutra isn't there for everyone to read. This is a lesson that's only taught to the advanced disciples in the Mahayana line of Buddhism. Whereas in Christianity, we, you know, Jesus was, I think he would have told the story of the prodigal son to anyone who was willing to listen. It's there for everyone. And so if we to look at the analogy, we, in, in the Lotus Sutra, we could say that we or everyone here, everyone on earth, is the lost son who's left home. But only the advanced disciples who are called the Arhants, only the Arhants are the ones that have finally returned home and have started working their way back up in their father's business. The rest of us are still you know, wandering from one town to another looking for scraps of work here and there. And... So that means in Christianity, and the beautiful thing about it is that there are no prerequisites to return home. There's no prior knowledge we need to do, we need to have. There's no prior training we had to do. It's just choice. I, I have a staff development day coming up tomorrow for work, and I had to do a four hour online session before I'd go to this thing. <laughs> And it was painful. <laughs> and it was just, it dragged out, it was so boring. All these prerequisites. But with God, there are no prerequisites. There's no four-hour online training module that you have to do. You can just come back to God. And he, actually, he says, come back to me like children, doesn't he? And so come back to me without knowing all the answers. Come back to me in your ignorance. Come back to me in your naivety. Come back to me, you know, bickering, having, having a wrong idea, but just come back to me like kids and have that heart. And that's beautiful. And what this does, it puts the emphasis on, reconcil on reconciliation on God. And in fact, it really just ta it takes it out of our hands altogether, doesn't it? And again, coming from a Christian home, I have taken that for granted so often. Because I hear, okay, by, by grace we are saved, by faith we are saved, God does it all. And I've heard that again and again and again. And I've kind of got a bit complacent about it. But again, reading... Um, something spiritual from a different point of view. It highlights the amazing God that we have that loves us for where we're at and beckons us to come home just as we are. And I'm so glad for that because if my spiritual salvation was up to me, I, I, I don't think I'd get there. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm just incapable. I'm too complacent. I'm too apathetic. I'm too flawed. I'm too lazy. I just... I wouldn't have the discipline to do it. And that's why it's so good that Christ has done that for us. And so we have access to God, even in our flawed state. We have a God that pursues us, and that in itself is unique. And a Buddhist looking at the Christian path reconciliation, they'll say, well, that's, that's undeserved. That's unfair. It's, it's prodigal behaviour of God. And that's why... In the home church, one of the questions that we had is, look at the, son of the, the story of the prodigal son from the view of the prodigal father. And so, yes, the son displayed prodigal behaviour by going out and just squandering all of his inheritance. 
But we can also say it was also prodigal behaviour of the father by allowing his son to have the inheritance in the first place. And so God's love for us, it is reckless. It is excessive. We could even say it's irresponsible. He throws caution to the wind and he just simply loves us for exactly where we are. And that's amazing. And so just to sum up, just going over some of the main points I made. When I look at the two and put them together, for me, there is a main thing that comes up again and again and again. You probably picked up on it. And it's how relationship is emphasised, the relationship that we have with God. And so going back to the start, from the Lotus Sutra, the father recognised the son, even though the son was unable to recognise himself. The father pursued the son and he devised a plan to bring him back but did not force the son to come home out of love and then I spoke about emptying ourselves and in Buddhism we talk about emptying yourself to become one with the cosmos but in in Christianity we talk about emptying ourselves to be in perfect relation with God and then the matter of inheritance in the Lotus Sutra there is no broken law so no grace is needed but there is grace needed in the tale of the prodigal son. But it's that grace that pulls us deeper into God all the time. God wants all of his children to come home. He leaves the 99 goes searching for the one lost one. He turns the entire house upside down looking for that one lost coin. He waits on the hilltop and when he sees us returning to him, he embraces us and kisses us. There is nowhere we can flee from his presence. And we we learn this in the Psalms, don't we? If we go to heaven, he is there. If we make our bed in the depths, he is there. If we run away from home, if we twist ourselves, if we distort ourselves to the point where we are beyond recognition, he still recognises us. He still loves us. God will always be there calling us home, pursuing us, running to us from the top of that hill, throwing his arms around us, putting rings on our fingers, sandals on our feet. This is the God we worship and it's awesome. I'm just going to finish with a quick prayer and I'll throw it back to Luke. God, thank you that you love us so deeply. Thank you that you pursue us. Thank you that you came and met us on our level. You come to us in our sin. You come to us in our brokenness. You come to us in our pain. Thank you for creating a path for us to come back to you back home, one that we are willing to take and not forced to take. Thank you for never giving up on us and that you're always there at an instant as soon as we turn our eyes back to you. Thank you for being the perfect father. In your eyes, we're not wretched, but we're adored. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.